Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. In November 2019, the Progressive Magazine hosted an event entitled Conversations on a Progressive Future with Noam Chomsky and David Barsamian at Pima Community College's Proscenium Theater in Tucson. Considered the founder of modern linguistics, Noam Chomsky joined the UA faculty in fall 2017, where he is a laureate professor in the Department of Linguistics in the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. He is also the Agnes Noam's Hari Chair in the Agnes Noam's Hari Program in Environmental and Social Justice. Dr. Noam Chomsky, Professor Emeritus at MIT, has introduced the world to ideas that have excited, incited, and challenged millions. His groundbreaking work in linguistics and his fearless engagement in politics, culture, history, and philosophy have profoundly impacted generations of students, scholars, community activists, and members of the public across and within political and ideological divides. Investigative journalist David Barsamian hosts the nationally syndicated show Alternative Radio and has co-authored books with Noam Chomsky, Akbal Ahmad, Howard Zinn, Tariq Ali, Richard Wolfe, Arundhati Roy, and Edward Said. His latest books are with Noam Chomsky, Global Discontents, Rising Threats to Democracy, and Edward Said, Culture and Resistance. He lectures on world affairs, imperialism, capitalism, propaganda, the media, and global rebellions. Norman Stockwell is publisher of The Progressive. Since 1909, The Progressive has amplified voices of dissent and those underrepresented in the mainstream with a goal of championing grassroots progressive politics. The event was a benefit for The Progressive magazine, Part one of this multi-part series begins with remarks by the progressive publisher Norman Stockwell, followed by a conversation with David Barsamian and Noam Chomsky. My name is Norman Stockwell. I'm the publisher of the Progressive Magazine, based... (laughs) Thank you. Based based in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, since 1909. And uh, the Progressive Magazine, uh, as I hope you are aware, is a national political magazine. We have been uh, covering voices from the grassroots ever since we were founded in January 9th, 1909 by Fighting Bob La Follette. And uh, our goal is to be a magazine for peace and social justice. We also have a website, which is uh, progressive.org on the web, and we have brand new content up there every day of the week, so please check that out as well. And I should mention, I also do a weekly newsletter, which you're welcome to subscribe to for free, and I write about what we're doing at the magazine. I think that's all I have to say in the form of introduction, except that I'm very, very pleased to welcome uh, two of my favorite people. David Barsamian started at KGNU Radio in Boulder in 1978, and he started doing a music show, 
David now is the director of Alternative Radio, which has been going for over 25 years, presenting interviews and speeches broadcast on community and public radio stations across the United States, and also available uh, from their website and by subscriptions. And then, uh, very, very pleased to welcome our uh, special guest tonight, Professor Noam Chomsky, who recently moved here to your beautiful city of Tucson after uh, many, many years in Massachusetts. Noam Chomsky first wrote for the Progressive Magazine, I think, in 1982, but of course has a, uh, a long and distinguished career both before that and since then. So uh, without any further ado, I'd like to uh, now give a very warm welcome to our guests who will uh, speak to you tonight on our progressive future. David Barsamian and Noam Chomsky. Well, good evening, Tucson. It's wonderful to see all your smiling, most of you are smiling and beautiful faces. Uh, it's an honor to be here and to be with uh, someone that I have been working closely with for uh, many, many decades and who is actually responsible for my radio program called Alternative Radio because when I first became familiar with his work, I was really surprised that Chomsky was nowhere to be heard on community radio stations, public radio stations across the country, and so I wanted to rectify that. And that was the beginning of um, alternative radio, and we have over 250 recordings of uh, Noam in our vast audio archive, lectures and interviews and debates, and uh, something for you to check out at alternativeradio.org. So Noam, you have a lot to answer for. Uh, in terms of uh, you know, supporting independent community radio, and thank you for that. Well, there's so much to talk about, obviously, but uh, let's start with uh, The Economist, not necessarily a very radical uh, journal. It says in its uh, current issue, there's something in the air, and that is, why are so many countries witnessing mass protests? And then it goes on to write about uh, all of the countries that have been uh, demonstrating in really unparalleled numbers, hundreds of thousands of people uh, turning out from Santiago, Chile, to Beirut, Lebanon, uh, to the Sudan, to Hong Kong, uh, Haiti, uh, country after country, Iraq as well. What is prompting this massive upsurge in citizen activism? Well, of course, uh, each country you look at has its own particularities and special reasons. Uh, but there are some common features which were actually captured pretty well by a young demonstrator in uh, Chile uh, whose comment became a slogan for the huge demonstration. He said, it's not about 30 pesos, it's about 30 years. That's roughly the period of uh, the neoliberal uh, programs that took over much of the world, the United States and other countries. Uh, they've had uh, pretty deleterious effects for the general population, uh, different in different countries. Uh, there's other factors in other countries, but uh, this is uh, common. And uh, what it's led to, we can see very well in the United States. Uh, the United States has one of the more vibrant economies in the modern world, but uh, nevertheless it has, uh, some of you may have uh, seen a, 
article in the New York Times a couple of days ago in the business section uh, saying that the figures look good, but the people are unhappy. A majority of the population says they don't have good jobs. Uh, they live very precarious lives. If you look at the statistics behind it, about over half the population has a negative net worth, meaning debts exceeding assets, uh, very little to carry them over if any unexpected development happens, accident or anything else. Uh, meanwhile, 0.1% uh, of the population, not 1%, 0.1%, have over 20% of the country's wealth, and that's accelerating. Its tendencies increased since the Great Recession. Uh, benefits have declined. Uh, the United States is uh, pretty extreme in this respect of all the uh, OECD countries, the rich countries. It's, uh, uh, it's the only one that doesn't have some form of uh, national health care. The uh, result is uh, uh, costs about twice as high as the average and uh, outcomes that are relatively poor. Uh, the uh, discontent is so extreme that for the first time in over a century, as you probably know, uh, mortality is increasing, particularly uh, among uh, the basically working age sector of the white population, roughly 25 to 50. Uh, mortality is increasing. That hasn't happened uh, anywhere in a developed society since the huge flu epidemic a century ago. You are listening to Conversations on a Progressive Future with Professor Noam Chomsky and investigative journalist David Barsamian on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. The concentration of wealth and, and the, there's essentially stagnation for the majority of the population. So the purchasing power of real wages today is about what it was in the 1970s before this uh, assault took place. One of the consequences of uh, concentration of wealth is almost automatically uh, increased power of extreme wealth and the corporate sector over the political system. That happens almost automatically. So there's been a decline in functioning democracy. People feel that the government is not responsive to them. They're in fact correct. Uh, they don't have to read uh, political science journals to discover that uh, about 70% of the population is essentially disenfranchised. Uh, that is, if you the lower 70% in the wealth scale, if you compare their opinions and attitudes, which we know a lot about from polls, with the voting records of their own representatives, there's essentially no correlation. Uh, the representatives are listening to other voices. The other voices are the donor class for the next election. Somebody's elected to Congress, first thing that he or she has to do is start uh, working on getting funding for the next round. Uh, representatives may spend five or six hours a day just talking to donors. Uh, meanwhile, uh, something is happening in their offices. Uh, there's been a huge explosion of lobbyists during this neoliberal period. 
and they have something to do. They go to the congressional offices, they sit with the staff, the staff are nice people, but they're overwhelmed by the information, true or false, uh, expertise, uh, uh, legal backgrounds, etc., of this mass of lobbyists who pretty much run the, uh, write the legislation which the uh, representative then signs. It's naturally going to have little relation to the people who voted the representative in the office. And this, this is felt by people. They know that the government doesn't represent them. In many ways, even worse in Europe. In Europe, the, where you have the same uh, economic issues expanded by the austerity programs, even worse than here, the structure of the European Union transfers essential decision-making away from people, national governments, where they have some influence, to unelected bureaucracy in Brussels. European Commission unelected the International Monetary Fund, the European Central Bank with the German banks looking over their shoulders. And people feel rightly that they just have it. They have no role in the political system. Meanwhile, they're suffering from the economic policies. Meanwhile, great wealth is rapidly accumulating. Well, the, one or another variant of this is happening over much of the world. And it has obvious consequences. People get angry, dissatisfied, resentful, begin to despise the more or less centrist institutions that have been running the world during most of their lives. In, uh, in Europe, the centrist parties, the center-left, center-right parties, are basically collapsing. Uh, the Social Democratic Party in Germany, which goes back to the mid-19th century, has virtually disappeared. Christian Democrats are sharply declining. Uh, you're getting a rise in fringe parties. Pretty much the same is happening here. Uh, but because of our political system, the parties keep their names, but they're changing their character in the same way. In fact, there's some studies recently of uh, taking a look at the political parties in the Western world, just looking at their political programs and uh, ranking them on a spectrum from what's called left to right. Uh, the Democratic Party here is sort of right in the center. It's with the centrist parties of other countries. The Republican Party is just off the spectrum. Uh, they're ranked alongside uh, fringe parties in Europe, uh, the parties that have sort of neo-fascist roots. And, uh, but we have the same breakdown in the, uh, the, the most striking feature of the 2016 election was that the center collapsed. If you look at Republican primaries for the last roughly 15, 20 years, every time a candidate emerged from the base, they were so intolerable to the establishment that they were just crushed by the concentrated power and force of the Republican establishment. Uh, Michelle Bachman, uh, Herman Cain, uh, Rick Santorum, and so on. The big difference in 2016 was they couldn't do it. They got somebody who did arise from the base and they couldn't destroy it. Uh, in the Democratic Party primaries, there was something similar. Uh, Bernie Sanders 
broke with uh, over a century of American political history by rising up to the point of nomination, might very well have gotten it if it hadn't been for machinations of party managers, without any support from the standard array of funders, those who buy the elections, corporate sector and extreme wealth, uh, with no media support. Now that's unheard of in American political history. But it's essentially the same phenomenon coming from the population. Uh, Trump came from another part of the population. Uh, but the centrist institutions are going. Well, you look around the world, as I say, you find one or another variant of this. Uh, there are special issues. So, for example, uh, in Brazil, which is quite a striking phenomenon, uh, the uh, leading uh, political figure, Lula da Silva, was out to win the election last uh, uh, a year ago, September, October uh, 2018. So, and there is a kind of an elite coup that's been going on for several years, a soft coup. And they handled this by uh, simply uh, putting him in jail on very dubious charges. And furthermore, not only putting him in jail, but barring him from making any public statement, unlike mass murderers, for example. So he was silenced, put in jail. Uh, the, uh, a huge social media campaign began. Uh, we're going to see more of this in the next year. It had Steve Bannon's fingerprints all over it. Uh, most Brazilians uh, get their information, as it's called, from social media. And it was swamped with the most incredible campaign of lies and vilification and defamation and accusations of most incredible sort. And it frightened people about the opposition. And it scared them into electing a real monstrous figure. In fact, what's been happening in Brazil since is pretty interesting. There's now a situation where Lula, the Supreme Court, wants Lula to get to leave jail, and he's refusing. He's insisting on staying in jail. The reasoning behind it is he wants to be exonerated of the charges, not just released. The Supreme Court is concerned that exposures have come out from Glenn Greenwald's intercept, many of you may have seen them, showing how utterly corrupt the prosecution was and in fact, the, uh, the whole background of the prosecution, the Judge Morrow was revered for the prosecution, was, has been exposed and in being involved in all sorts of shady efforts to get rid of the wrong people. And the court doesn't want any more of this to come out, so they'd like it to be ended. So you have this strange standoff going on. You are listening to Conversations on a Progressive Future with Professor Noam Chomsky and investigative journalist David Barsamian on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Take a look at other countries. You find their own particular issues, like, say, Lebanon. Lebanon, for one thing, the corruption of the elites is you know, indescribable. One of the main charges of the pri against the prime minister was that he gave uh, 
I think, sixteen million dollars to some South South African model he was having an affair with. Uh, but and uh, meanwhile, the trash isn't being picked up. Uh, on top of this, there's a confessional system that was imposed by France when they were the colonial power. When they left in the 1940s, they made a deal among the Christian, uh, Sunni, and Shia population about how they apportion governance. There haven't been any polls since then. The Shia are very much underrepresented. And uh, this system really prevents, I mean, formally it's democracy, but it prevents a serious democratic functioning from proceeding. So that's a major issue. Take a look at the next country, you'll find something else. But in this atmosphere of uh, anger, resentment, uh, frustration, uh, contempt for institutions, it's very fertile territory for demagogues to come along and to say, your problem is not the corporate sector and the wealthy and the people who are making the policies. It's somebody who's even more vulnerable than you, uh, immigrants, uh, Muslims, uh, African-Americans, uh, Ronald Reagan's welfare queens. Just look around and find somebody to blame it on. And uh, it's been this pretty good evidence by now, a lot of studies, that the uh, xenophobia and the fury against immigrants and so on tends to follow the uh, economic uh, the cutbacks in the economic policies that are cutting back uh, benefits, uh, making wages stagnate, and so on and so forth. This is true even in countries like Sweden. Uh, it's, there, you see a rise in xenophobia and anger, uh, uh, pathological symptoms of various kinds. Almost always it follows after the uh, economic policies that are associated with the whole neoliberal system. That's, uh, and I think that's kind of the underlying background for what's happening. When you look at particular countries, you find other things that are building on it. You know. And what's happening in the Amazon in terms of the f fires and the destruction of what's called the lungs of the earth? Well, Bolsonaro, who's president who was just elected, has basically given... Uh, carte blanche to the uh, logging, to the agribusiness logging uh, uh, mineral industries, his constituency, and telling him just burn it up and use it for uh, grazing, uh, mineral extraction, uh, uh, anything you want. Uh, there is a certain problem about that. Uh, the Amazon is very fragile. These are short-term gains, and the forest isn't coming back. Meanwhile, it has regional and, in fact, global effects. I'm sure you've often heard the Amazon described as the lungs of the earth, an enormous amount of uh, carbon removal from the atmosphere. Uh, and uh, it's the basis for the uh, ecology of the South America region. It's the place where water condenses and is, leads to the, the heavy rains that uh, permit uh, agricultural development and then of course for the whole world that means a blow against the very perilous e efforts to try to do something with the 
about the uh, ecological catastrophe that's looming very near us. Uh, this is another blow against that. And my wife, Valeria, who you just saw, is, happens to be Brazilian. We, the two of us were, in, were visiting Brazil a couple of months ago in Sao Paulo, biggest city which, where we were, at three o'clock in the afternoon, a nice sunny day, all of a sudden it became pitch black, literally, kind of like midnight. Nobody knew what was happening. Uh, well, it turned out that the fires in the Amazon, uh, far away, were creating so much smoke that they darkened the skies and turned bright mid-afternoon into midnight. That's uh, a vivid uh, indication of the kinds of things that are happening, but it's happening mostly out of sight. And associated with this is uh, essentially extermination of the indigenous populations that populate those areas as the loggers and miners uh, move into the areas. They want to get rid of the people. We're kind of familiar with that in uh, our own history. And uh, that's the indigenous people who have been the kind of caretakers of the forest and are, live in close interaction with them are being decimated and threatened with destruction. Bolsonaro himself, among his outlandish pronouncements, is that they all, that the indigenous population should be eliminated. Uh, he said that what they really want is uh, iPhones and uh, to be begging and be homeless in the cities, not to live in their own uh, uh, areas that are designated for them. So let's just get rid of them and get rid of this. He's uh, Bolsonaro, who uh, is very supportive of the military. In fact, he claims that the military dictatorship didn't even take place. It was just uh, saving the country from a communist uh, takeover, totally fanciful. The dictatorship was very harsh and brutal. Uh, but he has criticized the military. He's criticized them on two grounds. Uh, one, he said they're too soft. Uh, they should have done what the Argentine military did at roughly the same time, uh, kill 30,000 people. Uh, but the Brazilian military didn't do that. Now we have this problem of these people around who should have been murdered. He also criticized the 19th century Brazilian military because they didn't behave like the, the cavalry in the United States and exterminate the native population. If they'd done that, Brazil wouldn't have this problem of indigenous people. That's uh, one of the nice guys who's uh, taking over major countries. Uh, and uh, the Amazon is under very severe threat. Actually, my wife uh, is trying to compensate for it by recreating a small model of the Amazon in our home in Tucson by planting Brazilian trees. So it's taking off a little bit. And that military dictatorship uh, lasted from 1964 to 1985. Yeah, worth knowing about. Uh, there was a kind of plague of repression that spread over the whole continent beginning in the early 60s. Uh, the Brazilian dictatorship was the first. It was lauded by the United States, lauded. Uh, the ambassador, U.S. ambassador, 
uh, Kennedy Johnson ambassador, Lincoln Gordon was his name, uh, hailed the, the overthrow of the government and the establishment of the dictatorship as uh, the, one of the greatest moments of uh, freedom in mid-20th century America. Uh, investors poured in, uh, capital poured in, and it was uh, considered a wonderful event. A brutal, vicious, uh, neo-Nazi-style dictatorship. Then others spread around the continent. And our own role in that is not very pretty. If you look at it, it's worth looking at carefully. We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to Conversations on a Progressive Future with Professor Noam Chomsky and investigative journalist David Barsamian on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. The event was a benefit for the Progressive Magazine. This has been part one of a multi-part series. You can find this and all recent episodes of 30 Minutes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org. There you can also subscribe to the podcast and follow our social media links. Thank you for listening. I'm Amanda Schager.